Welcome to I Know A Lawyer podcast. Ever wish lawyers would talk about the law like regular people? If so, then this is the podcast for you. Enough with the intro. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to I Know A Lawyer, everyone. As you know, I am Ryan Lockhart, your host. I Know A Lawyer is brought to you by McKenna Brink Seniority LLP, a boutique law firm in Walnut Creek, California. Check out our services at McKennaBrink.com. If you are listening to this podcast on a podcasting app, go ahead and hit the subscribe button so you won't miss any future episodes of I Know a Lawyer. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Today, I am joined by Matthew Olsman of the law office of Matthew J. Olsman. Matthew is an immigration attorney, and he's here today to provide us with some key updates in the immigration arena. Thank you for joining me today, Matt. How are you? I'm great, Ryan. How about yourself? Doing well, doing well. Uh, we're into October here. We got the election coming up soon, and I know that immigration is an area that is changing. I would say rapidly, but I think it's even faster than that, from what I'm hearing. So, thank yeah. you very much for joining me today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Good. So let's just start off. Um, let's say somebody's looking to apply for immigration benefits. What's what's the process like? What's that overview look like? So. Immigration benefits and immigration law generally is pretty complex. Uh, a lot of people feel like it's just filling out some forms and sending them off to the government. And while that's certainly the basics of the process, there's a lot more analysis and evaluation that goes into it. Um, depending on what status the person has currently, various different immigration uh, relief might be available to them. For instance, if you're already here on a green card, if you're a legal permanent resident, you can apply to become a citizen. If you have no status here in the United States, you either crossed the border unlawfully or you were inspected or you came on a visa and simply overstayed, uh, while there's certainly less relief available to you, there still are pathways to get you either to become a permanent resident and in some cases a citizen. So uh, the basic process is, is that you'd come talk to a lawyer like me, have them ask you some questions about your history, how you came here, family members here in the United States. Uh, and then we talk about, you know, sort of what your goals are. I always try to focus on my clients' goals because, you know, case by case, they differ. Uh, so it really just sort of depends on the client by client uh, analysis to see how can I help this person? Uh, what's the most likely way to achieve those goals? And then once we figure out what we want to do, we kind of go over the processes that we have to do, what forms need to be filed, what evidence we have to get in support of those forms. Uh, and then, you know, if there's any issues that arise, how we're going to deal with those issues. So you say without status, is that when somebody's without status, does that just mean they're here? Like, I know I'm going to say without status, but what I really mean is, are they just like you say, cross the border illegally or some people, without permission or something like that? Sure. Some people come what's called entry without inspection, which means they came in some way. They were never inspected by a Border Patrol officer or any immigration officer. Uh, and oftentimes you're right. It's they crossed over the border and nobody, you know, uh, they didn't go through a point of entry of any kind. Um, but there are people here who are are without status in the sense that they're out of status. And frankly, as you look at the statistics, there's many more people who come and they simply come on a visa, but overstay it for whatever reason. They don't want to go back to their home country or something comes up and they can't go back to their home country. So they were inspected. You know, they came in an airport or on a plane or even sometimes over the border. And we're allowed to enter, uh, but then never left. So if somebody doesn't have this status, uh, what, what kind of options do they have? So uh, for people who have uh, been 
have entered the United States and they've been inspected and admitted. So they came on, for instance, a student visa and they stayed for however many years they did school and overstayed. Um, there are various types of, of applications you can apply for. But like I said, they're a lot more limited uh, than somebody who is currently in status. One of the things that a, a lot of my clients do is they're married to a United States citizen. You know, they've been here sometimes 15, 20, 30 years. Uh, and they live their life, they establish their life, and they eventually get married to a United States citizen. So assuming that person has proof that they actually were admitted into the country and allowed to come in and simply overstayed a visa, they can just apply for a green card through the United States citizen spouse. But if you didn't come in with you know, some sort of a visa or you weren't inspected and admitted, you can still apply for that green card, but it would require you to leave the country and process your green card application through a consulate in your home country, or in some cases, even another country. Um, so a common way is based on a family relationship. It could be a spouse that's a United States citizen. It could be a parent that's a United States citizen. And in certain cases, even a child who's a United States citizen, so long as that child's over 21, um, can petition for a relative and that they can get a, a green card that way. So I'm assuming there might be different requirements depending on what the status or non-status is. But if not, let me know. What are the requirements, I guess, generally to become a citizen? Uh, so to become a citizen, is a, is a, you have to be a permanent resident for five years in most cases. Uh, in certain cases, if you belong to the military or you got your uh, green card through being a spouse of a United States citizen and you still live with that person at the time you apply, uh, you can do it in three years instead of the five. Um, but for citizenship, Generally, the requirements are that you are a person of good moral character. So that is a very vague word or vague phrase that the government uses. But basically what it means is you can't have uh, certain types of criminal convictions in your past. You have to keep up with your taxes. Uh, you can't do certain things that the government looks at as morally turpitudinous or, you know, uh, <laughs> they judge you uh, for. Um, and presuming all of that's true, there's about a 20 page application you fill out, you file it, uh, and, deter and then eventually you'll have an interview at the interview. In addition to showing that, you know, you're a person of good moral character, uh, that you've done all the things you're supposed to do. Another interesting thing is you're not as a permanent resident allowed to leave the country for more than six months at a time. If you leave for more than six months at a time, it could be grounds to take away your permanent residence. And it could be grounds to deny your citizenship if you can't show that you intend, you've intended in the past five years on actually being here and being a permanent resident of the United States. Um, so they look at all of that, they'll go over the form. And in addition, you have to take two tests. One's an English test, which asks you, it's pretty simple. It's they ask you a, a phrase in English and ask you to write it down. And then they give you a phrase in English that's written down, you have to say it back to them. And then you have to take a civics test, which is, 10 questions. There's 100 total questions they can ask. They ask you 10 of them. You have to get six right. And there's stuff that goes from history, American history, to, you know, the forms of American governance. They'll ask questions like, who's the current Speaker of the House? You know, if the president and the vice president were to become incapacitated, who would become the president? Things like that. And then assuming that they approve all of that and that there's nothing else that would uh, deny you citizenship, usually they recommend you to be approved. And then in a couple of weeks, they'll send you a notice to go to an oath ceremony uh, where you actually take the oath of allegiance to the United States. <laughs> kind of makes me wonder how many uh, U.S. born and raised would be able to pass that 10 question civics test. <laughs> Fewer than you think. Fewer <laughs> than you think. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
Um, what about asylum? I've heard about asylum. Quite frankly, I don't know that much about it. I, I mean, I understand what the term means, but I don't understand how it would work in this context of immigration. Sure. So the asylum system, especially now, has been sort of blown up in the uh, Trump administration as far as the the press coverage about it and sort of what people know. And honestly, seeing what I see and coming out of the press, it's it's a fairly uh, misunderstood system. Um, asylum, for people who just don't even understand the term, is asking for protection here in the United States. The basics are you're afraid to go home to your country for any number of reasons. Um, there's There's five generally referred to what are called protected grounds that people can apply for asylum, which means that you're afraid because you're going to be persecuted in your home country based on one of these reasons. Uh, it goes to your political opinion, your religion, your race, your nationality, or your membership in a particular social group. Now, that's a super vague term that most people don't understand. But basically, asylum law realizes that not everybody's going to fall in those first four categories, but there's good reason for people to be persecuted. For instance, a lot of my clients are, uh, you know, they're, they're not heterosexual. They're either homosexual, bisexual, whatever it may be. Uh, you know, there's, there's people who are afraid because in their countries, they're persecuted for, you know, who they choose to love. Um, and so if you can show that you fall within what's called a, a cognizable group, meaning something that society can sort of look at you and, and see that you're different. It doesn't have to be something physical characteristic about you, but that you can be separated from, quote unquote, the rest of or normal society, and that you're going to be persecuted based on that, and that that is significantly narrow enough that it's not just like anybody could be you know, included in this group. You can use that as a protected ground to say to the judge or the immigration officer, I'm going to be persecuted. No, it doesn't fall because, you know, I don't believe in this religion or I don't believe in this in this political theory, uh, but that I'm still going to be persecuted. So you have to show that you have a reasonable likelihood that you're going to be persecuted in the future, meaning that if you were to go back, it's it's reasonably likely somebody is going to persecute you for that reason. Generally, it either has to be the government persecuting you or a group that the government cannot or will not control. And that's where you sort of get into the vagaries of, well, what's a group that the government can't or won't control? Is that, you know, a gang? Is that a rebel group? Is that, you know, just somebody who's not necessarily in the government, but favored by the government, whoever that may be. And if you can show all of those things and you can show that you can't just move somewhere else in your country and be safe, it's going to happen no matter what, uh, wherever you go in your country. And there's a bunch of other sort of exemptions that they've carved out. But presuming you can show all of that, you can show that you deserve asylum. And asylum is a powerful form of relief because unlike trying to get a green card or even sometimes trying to get a visa, asylum is very forgiving because they understand that people do things all the time. Some, they have to lie to get out of their countries and sometimes and say that they wanna come here because they wanna be a student, but really they're escaping for their life or their family's lives. Um, so if you can get asylum, you can be here indefinitely. And it puts you on a pathway to eventually, after a year, assuming you stay in the country that year, you can actually apply to get a green card. And then once you get the green card after five years, you can actually become a citizen of the United States. So it's a powerful and very deep area of law that because of the Trump administration and other political uh, agencies that have made drastic changes to it, it like you said, changes day by day. Um, but it's really a powerful form of relief because many people 
they're really afraid of going home. I mean, there's the reason that they picked up all of their stuff their whole life, left it all there, and came to the country to restart their lives. So how is the Trump administration, have they made it more difficult for these asylum claims? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Basically, what they have done is they've sort of disparaged the asylum seeker and tried to, I think, change public opinion to see them as all fakers and liars, that the people are either are are predominantly what are called, they call economic migrants, people who are just coming here because they want sort of a better life for themselves. And even though that sort of we think in the American dream, that's, you know, welcome the poor, welcome you send me your, you know, everybody, the the disheveled masses. um, Really, that's not a good cause for asylum. Um, you, You need to be afraid of something, but oftentimes those are kind of mixed in. So what the Trump administration has tried to do is try to narrow the definition of who should be granted asylum to as narrow as possibly can be. And that's sort of the ideal, quote unquote, asylum case where, you know, the police are after you or the government's after you or and the reason they're after you is because you don't like their political opinion and that you've actually been significantly harmed by these people. You know, though it can be simple threats uh, in certain cases, oftentimes judges and just practically immigration officers they're not really going to uh, take, unless you really can show harm uh, in the past, they're not going to believe that you're gonna be harmed in the future. So in addition to just actually changing the rules, they're also just installing both in the immigration courts as well as what's known as the Board of Immigration Appeals, which are the appellate division of the uh, for immigration courts, sort of, I won't go so far as to say anti-immigrant judges, but certainly not pro-immigrant judges. And a lot of the decisions we've been seeing are are, are really harsh and, and limiting the amount of people who are going to be able to claim asylum in the United States. Well, I guess this leads to me because I've heard from you um, and other immigration attorneys that there's just been so much upheaval from, you know, the executive branch on the immigration front. And I don't think a lot of people understand, and I, I don't fully understand how the executive branch can exert so much power over the immigration system and policy and choice uh, or in policies in place. Um, so where does the legislature and the executive kind of like split the duties and responsibilities here in immigration? So it's a great question. And uh, you are not the only person who doesn't understand it. I didn't understand the power the executive branch had until honestly a couple of years into immigration law. And I really started understanding sort of how the procedures work and how the law works. So, you know, like anything, Congress passed laws that generally guide the immigration process. And the Congress can pass laws, even today, if they ever got their act together to do it, to really reform the immigration system. However, because in it just historically, the executive branch has always had a lot of discretion when it comes to allowing who, who they allow into and out of the United States or really into the United States, um, they, that Congress doesn't really micromanage the executive in a lot of ways. They give and defer power oftentimes to the attorney general, the Department of Justice, to make a lot of these decisions. Now, pre-9-11 you know, in the Bush administration, all of this fell to a group called INS, the Immigration Nationality Service, right? That changed when after 9-11, they established the Department of Homeland Security. So the Department of Homeland Security governs both the USCIS, the United States Citizenship and Immigration Service, which handles sort of the affirmative type benefits you're applying for. Like we would say, if you're applying for a green card, you're applying for citizenship, that's all handled by this administrative agency. But 
DHS also runs ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and Customs and Border Protection, the CBP, who, you know, a lot of people now certainly know those acronyms much more than they did before. And those are sort of the enforcement branches of immigration. Now, traditionally, USCIS was a benefits agency. That meant their goal was simply to determine whether or not somebody applying was eligible for a benefit. If they were, they granted. If they weren't, they denied it. Now, there's been a lot more crossover in those areas. And so now, sort of the cops are talking to, in, in many cases, you know, in criminal law, we guess we'd refer it to like talking to the judges. And they're all sort of working together to both identify people who are don't have status, to enforce immigration laws against people who don't have status, um, and doing so in, in my opinion, a pretty heartless way. I've heard of, though it hasn't happened in the Bay Area, to my knowledge, I've heard of people getting detained at their interviews. When they go and apply for something, they go through the, 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 the process, they go to the interview, ICE shows up, picks them up, puts them in detention. So you just have this, this branch, which is, again, all under the executive, all co- sort of colluding together to really to, to be a much stricter enforcement agency. And because there's so much deferred to the Department of Justice, who sets the rules for immigration court as well as the Board of Immigration Appeals. Um, when you have someone like Attorney General Jeff Sessions or Attorney General William Barr, who is very much trying to forward the Trump administration's uh, goals as far as they pertain to immigration, um, they have so much power to set new, even precedent, that it creates this sort of the sort of hill that you have to climb uh, that you feel like you just you, they can change whatever they want on a whim. For instance, Attorney General Barr uh, can refer himself an administrative immigration appeals case and overrule the Board of Immigration Appeals judges who made the decision. So they can change things sort of on a whim without really any rationale besides I want to do it. And unless it's overturned by a circuit appeals court or the Supreme Court, that's the law of the land. But not only is he the top cop, but he can be the top immigration judge if he wants to be. Exactly. And that's a huge problem because even though they're separate entities, the government prosecutors who prosecute immigration cases are part of DHS. And when you have a very unified, in my opinion, anti-immigrant agenda all under the executive branch, they can all work together to really make it really difficult uh, for an immigrant. And I think a lot of people think, you know, they see on TV, you know, you have to have a warrant signed by a judge to arrest people. All these things, the rules don't apply the same way to immigrants. And to I think the shame of this country in a lot of ways, we're slowly starting to take away a lot of the due process that's accorded to immigrants, which to me, you know, that's what this country was founded on. Mm. That's a lot to think about. And I know it's all up in the air now with an election coming up. So maybe there'll be some reform coming sooner than later. We'll find out. So Matt, I know you have a criminal law background and one area that you specialize in is helping immigrants who have prior criminal convictions. And I think that's pretty unique. And I would like for you to you know, talk about that and how, how does that work and what kind of issues should we, should we be on the lookout for? Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, that is something that I really uh, have, have sort of prided myself on learning about. I started out, like you said, as a criminal defense attorney, and part of the reason I got in, involved in immigration and interested is I remember one of the first uh, pleas my boss had sent me to right out of law school. Uh, we're going through it. I'm going over the form. It was a DUI. It was sort of run-of-the-mill case. 
Um, but it gets to the part of the plea form where they say, if you're not a citizen, this could result in your deportation, removal, or exclusion from the United States. My client's eyes got very wide and was like, wait, what? I'm here on a student visa. So it was just an issue I had no idea about. Frankly, my boss at the time, really, I don't, if he knew, he didn't really tell him to do anything uh, as far as referring him to an immigration lawyer. And while a DUI generally doesn't affect people as strongly in, that are immigrants, uh, as far as making them removable, it can have really severe effects. And what I've learned through sort of, you know, actively diving into this, this area is that things that you and I think of as sort of petty or minor crimes, for instance, certain petty theft crimes, which I'm not saying that, you know, people should be just stealing stuff all the time, but in the grand scale of things, it's not murders, it's not rapes, it's not arsons, it's not these really sort of crimes that we think of as really terrible. Um, that can render people deportable, especially in the context of right now and uh, the opioid epidemic and all of the, uh, the war on drugs, so to speak. Controlled substance convictions are the death knell of the immigrant. I mean, it can make, basically make it so you can't get any kind of status and you're definitely deportable even if you've been a permanent resident for a long time. So what I kind of focus on, because California has been on the forefront of a lot of these laws, realizing that things that we, that in California, we don't think of as serious crimes uh, have really serious effects on people's immigration status. And the fact that for many, many years, criminal defense attorneys just weren't asking the right questions and weren't doing the right things as far as getting the right advice on how to, to settle these plea deals. Um, and so California allows, if you can show that you didn't understand your conviction was going to have an immigration consequence and you still took a plea, you can actually get that conviction vacated, meaning that it, it, it just essentially goes away and the case is reopened against you. Those charges are still pending against you. But the conviction that made it so that you couldn't come here, you couldn't stay here or that you would get deported um, or you couldn't apply for any kind of immigration benefits can go away. So it's a really powerful tool. And I come across a lot of immigrant clients who, hey, you know, you married to a United States citizen, you came in on a visa, everything looks good, you know, the citizen can sponsor you, all of that. And then all of a sudden, oh, you got convicted of, you know, possession of whatever it was, whatever kind of drug it was, you know, 30 years ago, you can't get the green card. In fact, they could deport you right now. In some cases, you could be even subject to mandatory detention, which means if ICE comes into contact with you, you're going into ICE detention. And that can be a very difficult place to get out of. Uh, certainly a really hard place to fight. So, you know, I will go through uh, a person's immigration history, as well as their criminal history, see sort of fitting the square peg in the round hole, I like to call it, and kind of figure out which of these convictions are going to be a problem for your immigration status. And if the facts warrant it, I can actually go to the criminal court and say, listen, judge, this person didn't understand that they were going to become deportable. And a lot of people would rather take jail time or prison time if it meant that they could avoid, uh, you know, getting getting deported because this is where they've lived their whole lives. Um, so, you know, I sort of work, uh, I like to call it holistically, really trying to figure out what's best for the clients. And I think anybody who comes across anybody who's not a citizen of the United States and has questions about immigration it's it's better to talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about and can really help guide you through the process and avoid the pitfalls that come along with applying for a benefit. Because a lot of people send the forms in and then it comes to the interview. And like I said, sometimes they even get detained at the interviews um, and you don't know you need a lawyer until it's way too late. And so you really want somebody trying to help. And then if a criminal conviction pops up, 
you really want somebody, an immigration lawyer who understands how that's going to affect you and what options you have in order to see if you can get that conviction vacated or in certain other instances, you can get it changed or modified somehow to help your immigration status. Well, that's a great illustration of the crossover from immigration law and criminal law. And I know of other types of lawyers, especially like the family law arena or employment law, where immigration also is a crossover, you know, event. So what kind of resources could those kind of attorneys look for to try to make sure that they're not falling into some pitfalls, potentially? Um, You know, I hate to self-promote, but find somebody like me to talk to. I think it's always better uh, to talk to a lawyer who's, again, like you said, because the law is changing so much. I mean, even beyond the rule changes with the executive branch, the circuit courts rule differently on how things can affect an immigrant. And so there are a lot of circuit splits as far as the decisions, where in the Ninth Circuit, a fairly friendly circuit to immigrants, something that would make you deportable wouldn't make you or would make you deportable uh, in another circuit. So really finding somebody who likes to keep up on the law is, is a really good idea. But absent that, you don't know an immigration lawyer, you're not sure of one, you can't find one that you feel that you can trust. Um, I'd always recommend CEB. They have a, a host of publications about various things. Uh, they have some really good resources specifically for the criminal effects uh, of or the, crimi- the immigration effects of criminal convictions. Um, but you can learn uh, even through AILA, the American Immigration Lawyers Association, through some of their publications, sort of a, a basic, well, I don't know what the rules are here, but I know I got to talk to somebody who does. Um, and that's where I would really, I would, I would focus people to really learn about the various immigration agencies. Uh, through AILA is, I think, the best organization. It's the national organization that most immigration lawyers belong to. And they have a ton of really good resources uh, for immigration lawyers as well as non-immigration lawyers to just sort of issue spot. Uh, the American Immigration Council is another organization that does a lot of good practice advisories uh, sort of on these crossover issues. But ultimately, you know, you really want to talk to somebody who knows what's going on now because things that change day by day, month by month, the, the, the record, the, the advisories, the publications are not always going to reflect that. Well, there you go. You other attorneys out there, you come across one of these immigration issues or you spot the issue, give Matt a call. So Matt, where can they reach you at? Uh, the best way to reach me is either by phone or email. I get free consultations, which is pretty rare for immigration lawyers. I sort of believe that, you know, every immigrant deserves to at least have a chance to talk to somebody uh, if they can't afford it, you know, say la vie. Uh, but you can reach me at 818-308-4068. Or you can email me at matt at Olsman, O-L-S-M-A-N, lawfirm.com. Uh, and I'm happy to sit up and, you know, set half an hour, an hour aside, whatever you or your client needs to really talk about the situation. And like I said, I mean, every case is so different. Everything you heard on this podcast could be different tomorrow. So I don't <laughs> need any of this to be, you know, specific legal advice for any specific person. But talking to a lawyer who, who keeps up on the law, who's willing to work with your client and really take a holistic approach to your clients or to, you know, my, anybody listening that is interested in immigration uh, benefits that, that want to listen to your story, um, that's the best way to do it. Whether it's me or somebody else, really talk to somebody who follows the law uh, and can do it and and give you a really holistic analysis of what your situation is. Because I've had a lot of people who come in and I, I fix stuff for the lawyers who didn't do it right. You know, there's just a lot of people who don't. And it's a hard area. I don't even necessarily begrudge those lawyers because like I said, things change all the time. 
Um, but you really want to figure out the best way to do it and, and for you and your situation. Uh, thank you very much, Matt. That was an awesome show. Um, so I appreciate you coming on and giving us an update on what's going on in the immigration area. Like you said, this might change next week or next month and or by the end of the year. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, I, I can almost guarantee, and I don't make a lot of guarantees, but I can almost guarantee something will change. <laughs> yep. October's not even over yet. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we're, you know, up for this big election. And the only last thing I'd like to, and I'm sure most of the lawyers on here are probably going to do it anyway, but if, if you can please vote and stay involved in the immigration issues. I think I realize that citizens tend to feel like this isn't something that affects them unless there's somebody in their life that's really been affected by it. Uh, this affects the economy. This affects just, just society in general, your ability to eat all the diverse foods you like to eat, meet all the diverse people you like to meet, listen to music, all of these things. It really comes from the background, the backbone of America, which is that we're all immigrants. We all come from other places and sort of bring the best of what we can here. So you know, just be aware that in, in addition to all of the many other things that are on the ballot, whether you, you whether you are Republican or Democrat, I really just I, I urge you to vote for a more sensible immigration system than what the Trump administration is proposing and what we're dealing with now, because it is it, it's untenable. It will break. And I, I don't want that to happen to America. Well, that was Matt Olsman. Thank you very much for joining me. All his contact info will be in the show notes, so you can find it there and reach out to him if you have any of those questions. I'm Ryan Lockhart. This is I Know a Lawyer. Thank you, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Interested in what the team at McKenna Brink Seniorati can do for you? Contact them at McKennaBrink.com. Also on Twitter at MBS Law LLP or even Facebook. Thank you for listening, and now you know a lawyer, too.